Hello, adventurers. I want to take a moment to tell you that all our content can now be found uninterrupted and commercial-free on Apollo Plus. Apollo Plus is a subscription-based service that enhances your audio fiction experience with ad-free access to your favorite shows and exclusive content, while at the same time supporting us all as creators to keep bringing you quality content. Please take a moment to check out Apollo Plus at apollopods.com or download the app in your Google or Apple app stores. Again, that's Apollo Plus, your new home for quality audio fiction. Dragons, Season 1, Episode 7. Cordelia walked between the rows of tomes, each binding varied from canvas-dyed burgundy, with a simple silver corners, to dark tobacco leather, a sunburst of oiled colors leading to the bronze and pewter-rounded caps, showing a lion and bear on the front. She lost herself in the blue cover, drifting on a memory not too long ago, when they first entered the great port city of Bamil, in the Nation of Bells. A giant statue greeted them, made from smoothed granite, depicting a knight standing eighty feet tall, faint silhouettes of seagulls circling about his head and torso, a sword in his hands pointing outward, held out in a salute to those entering the city. He was to the left of the ship's bow as they came into the cove. She smiled. Port. It was portside. She pictured Zorn's smile in approval of her memory of that particular lesson. The night watches over Bemel. Zorn read the large plaque at the statue's feet. Benedict, your night lord watches the Platinum City. That has to be good, right? Absolutely. Benedict, ignoring the sarcasm, bowed his head in reverence to the holy statue. And you, my friend. Zorn laughed as he shook his head. (laughs) This. Cordelia smiled as she saw the book. was a recounting of the time during the Bloodwood and Viridian Wars 30 years ago. She was given access to the rows of tomes soon after arriving in the Ivory Library, 120 miles to the northwest of Bamil. They had come on foot, traveling just over a refreshing, uneventful week on the well-traveled road. She ran her hand down the deep tones of the book's ornate spine, remembering the tall, bald man in the white robes. Welcome, Cordelia, Shepherd of the Flames. He stood slightly smiling in the onyx and quartz hall beyond the dark oaken floors between the milky white towers outside. Tell us of what do you seek? Lord Pallas. His eyes glinted as he nodded. All in the past is written. Though the one known as Pallas wrote his tale over many years, not many have dared to help record it. The librarian sought one thing, knowledge. And the knowledge collected was traded for other knowledge. She nodded. I can speak of his attack on Alanat Khan. They began to whisper. One woman with fresh spun gold for hair pushed back her hood, 
revealing one pale, sightless eye paired with a dark brown one next to it. It flared defiantly. No one survived that. How is it that you... I did. They burst into discussion amongst themselves. The tall man, though, stood silent, almost smiling and nodding in acknowledgement. Zorin looked at her questioningly. If they needed information, and that was the only price, why not let him discuss his whole life? Isn't that worth so much more? He mumbled to himself. But she, almost hearing the plea, looked determined, staring him in the eye, shaking her head slightly, indicating silence. Very well. You do know the ritual known as the telling is often fatal. She nodded. She felt Zorin tense up. The rest of her friends would never let her get this far. Zorin, even knowing, could jeopardize things. Though she had left the risk out, they had to trust her. She would look for what they needed and hopefully get it back to them before she entered the test. The tall man bowed. Enter, Cordelia. You have been accepted as a librarian. Tomorrow, your true test begins. Use this time wisely. Research what you need to face reliving your tale for it to be recorded. He smiled and waved her by into the next room. She began walking towards the double doors opening before her, showing rows and rows of books, winding the central tower, fading in the tall expanse until they were only a blur. Sunlight slipped in at regular intervals, casting large prisms that focused the light into the central crystals, setting them afire with a white light, bathing the entire room. The smell was musty, but only faint, like a cheese cellar. Even with the faint hint of the wax sealing the pages together within the leather bindings. Wait! She turned to see the guards holding Zorin back. A thin iridescent force field erected between them blocking him from entering. What do I do? She smiled. Go back to the others. Tell them I'll be testing tomorrow to join this order as a librarian. For now... I guess I will need to study. He nodded and left the room. She watched him go before returning to the task at hand. She closed the book. It spoke of only one passage of note. Three warriors, Palace, Ash de la Rosa, and Maldros the Dark had been mercenaries for hire during this time. Great. It tells me he wasn't always the pompous justice we knew him as. But I don't know these other two. What of the Dark Cleric? Slightly discouraged at the fact it was the only verse in the pile of recent tomes she could find anything on him. She sighed and moved the unlit brass candlestick to the right of the table to make room for the large book with the six-pointed star familiar to herself and the old country. If all else recent didn't help, maybe the recounting of the world's dawn would at least to liven up her bored brain a bit. The tome was dusty, with the leather creaked as it opened for her curious hands. Trembling, she took a deep breath and began. The words on the ancient text spring to life. When the world was new, the elements themselves simply comprised of four. Earth, air, fire, 
and water. These four built the ground to stand on and the sky above. Over time, elements worked together and created mixed para-elements between them. Magma, lightning, mud, and steam. They were happy, but they needed help with this great new world. From creation itself, they found a clay that they were able to work with. They formed gods to help them control their new world and bring life into it. These were the lion, the bear, the stone, the thorn, and the skull. Each of these new deities was to harness control of nature's personality. The lion was proud, just, and good. The bear was good, but yet follows no rules finding what is needed for the good of all. The stone was solid in its duty regardless of good or evil intention. The thorn aims to try and find its own power, no matter who gets in the way. And finally, the skull represents the chaotic free will of those dark entities required for balance. For many moons, they worked to build their world together. The eight elements collected what was left of the clay of creation and made both the plants and animals. Soon they brought their children in to help, bringing their own special balance of gifts to the individual creations. The stone helped these masters build their forms. Like an anvil at a forge, the bear helped the fire heat and harden the clay, while the thorn gave it desire. The lion gave it courage, while the skull made sure it paid its toll with mortality. Soon the fae and many other creatures were born to help populate the land. The elements pondered about the last bit of clay they held, and how best to build creatures to help keep the balance and protect the land they all built together. They were opposed again. Soon younger para-elements began bickering with one another. Lightning struck out at mud and anger. The hot steam tried to cool the magma, all to no avail. The elements retreated to think. The firstborns, as that is what we call the deities who were born to the elements first and above all else, thought as well. The bear and the lion thought they could make beings too. After all, they had watched the elements closely and were sure they could repeat those same holy actions with the intention to help. The thorn and the skull said they too would help make these creatures, as they were also part of the balance. The stone said it would not be any part of it. This changed everything. The Great Forge was crucial to what they knew of the process. So the remaining firstborns had to improvise without the anvil as they had seen before. They fought over what elements to include, and what form it would take. They wanted to honor their makers, so the form took the shape of wings, representing the air, fire within the belly itself, while water and earth combined together to make a fluid form that could fly. It looked as fierce and frightening as it was graceful, and thus came the first dragons. Their forms were like great opalescent reptiles with shimmering metallic and rainbow hues glinting off their scales, a rainbow of colors not owning one over another. The master elements were furious. They looked at the clay, and there was only enough for one more creature. They turned to the faithful stone and offered it to them. They looked over the gift and judged, 
They too would make a dragon, but not like their siblings. They would make a stone, not a serpent. They would use water for a blanket, not the air as a tool to fly. They had no need for wings, so they handed the extra clay back and made a dragon turtle. The elements nodded in approval. The elements went on to use the clay to make the people as they came to be called. The people, when placed in their regions, adapted and took on forms to assist in the lands they were sworn to protect and serve. The firstborn, as before, placed their gifts into each one of them. Those in the mountains seeking treasures in the earth became the dwarves. Those in the swamps slowly became the orcs, immune to the harsh poisons. Those in the plains became humans. Those in the forest became the elves dancing with the fae. Those in the desert became the halflings, hiding in the smallest of shade. Those in the oceans became the merfolk. And those in the tundra became the lost ones. The elements and the firstborn looked and were happy at what they had created. Cordelia closed the book in thought. Taking in a deep breath, she pulled out the next tome. This one was a brown leather with a gold leaf on the edges. It creaked and fell to the first page. The Great Sunder, as told, told by, by Atlas the Seventh, chief historian of the Ivory Library. The personalities of these deities has grown much over time, and become the entities we, the civilized West, have come to know as such. The knight using the mighty of righteous war, to drive peace while the prince applied the selfish war of his own aims. The maiden in her finery, youthful imperfections, was still good at heart while the hag was the first, therefore the foremost powerful of the elements themselves. The judge used the gavel and the scales to ensure fair justice, regardless of right or wrong, while the ferryman waits for us all on his river of death. We were their children as were the dragons. While all six of the holy pantheons stood, a question came up. Some say it was the ferryman whispering something to the maiden, that she turned away revulsed while he snickered at her reaction into his dark, musty sleeve. Whatever it was has been lost time. What is more important is the outcome. The gods shouted at each other, and began splitting away the knight and maiden on one side and the prince and ferryman on the other of their great hall. The judge watched on looking for balance. The hag, worried about her children, stepped back as well. The gods called to their children, the dragons, to take their sides to assist in the judgment. But to their surprise, the dragons split perfectly even to each of their parents. The children of the knight were judged have to be strong, decisions of valor and good. The other half were found guilty of enslaving people of the desert, and possibly some halflings, we suppose. As the gavel struck, the dragon split into gold and blue. Blue as a mockery to the color's indication of honor. The children of the maiden were judged as well. The evil ones had enslaved a dark race of elves, corrupting them both races, becoming in love with the art of poisoning. She drew tears as she banished both of them underground, their scales becoming green to remind them of the forest they now left. 
She gave the good dragons a hue of brightest silver like the moon. The ferryman's children had corrupted the swamps with acid and poison, much to his delight. But there was the other half that had tried to not corrupt the land, and instead tended it to grow it and overgrow it, protecting itself. The ferryman made them bright copper, knowing when it tarnished in death, it would show a sickly green. His loyal dragons becoming jet black. Finally, the prince stepped forward, positive his dragons were all on his side. When the gavel struck, he found they had already been waging a war in the Northlands, and some dragons had been experimenting on the lost people. The people had split into smaller dragons, in some cases snow-white in color, but smaller than all the others. And for others had grown in size immensely, becoming ogres and giants. Proud of their ingenuity, he laughed joyously until he saw that exactly half were in fact not guilty, choosing to stay in their homes in the sand. Furious, he made the corruptors red to show his favor. The others turned into brass as he wanted them to be weaker than the steel of war. Cordelia sat back and thought with a smile. There was the answer. They needed to find the good dragons to join them in the fight against the hordes of Pallas. Her smile faded as she remembered. No one had seen one in hundreds of years. She stood up, determination spreading across her young face. We will find you. We will, and I know it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dice Tower Theater's Dawn of Dragons. This episode featured the following guest performances. We thank them with a glad heart for helping us make this tale a reality. Rue the Librarian, played by David S. Deer from the Ninth World Journal podcast. Valenial the Librarian, played by Cheyenne Bramwell from the Magical BS podcast. And the voice of the Genesis book, played by Piper Cleveland from the World Forge podcast. The music in today's episode was provided by Will Savino from Music D20. Music D20 is creating fantasy music for your tabletop RPGs. Become a patron at patreon.com slash musicd20. In the season finale, what price will Cordelia pay for access to these secrets? Tune in December 8th to find out. Be sure to subscribe and follow Dice Tower Theater on most social media. Until next time, remember the oath. This is a Ninth World Journal. A careless experiment with a teleportation device has left me stranded in random places throughout the Ninth World. While trying to survive in these strange lands, I must find a way to reverse my condition. A Ninth World Journal is a science fantasy audio drama podcast. Subscribe to listen or visit ninthworldjournal.com. One billion years in the future, Earth still exists, though maybe not as we imagine it. 
eras upon bygone eras worth of technology have been left behind by eight previous and fallen civilizations. It is now up to the denizens of the Ninth World to piece together what was left behind. Join us as we explore this Ninth World in Palimpsest, a family-friendly Numenera actual play podcast. Nehemiah, a protective glaive who speaks with a silver tongue. Smallrin, a serene jack who wields power with precision and Jory, a curious delve who exists partially out of phase, have all independently made their way to a small village past the edge of society and built around a massive and mysterious ruin. We hope you listen along as we bring you theatrically presented episodes of their adventures in Palimpsest, a ghost-like media production available at palimpsestcast.com or on your favorite podcatcher.